Before we get started today, I just wanted to take a minute to invite you to our next group consult. If you are a trauma treatment professional and want to gather with other like-minded professionals to gain support, insight, and share your own knowledge and resources, join us. You can present or you can just listen. This opportunity is open to all trauma treatment professionals. It will be held virtually and we will meet for one and a half hours. Don't miss it. Register and learn more at traumatreatmentcollective.com. Welcome to the Trauma Treatment Collective podcast. My name is Nina Keeler, a licensed marriage and family therapist and trauma specialist. In this space, we will share tips and tools on how to grow your trauma treatment skills while also keeping your own mental health in mind. Welcome to our first time listeners and welcome back to our followers. Today we have a guest with us where we're talking about trauma and substance use and abuse disorders. Our guest today is Sarah Rollins. Sarah is a social worker and somatic experiencing practitioner who owns a group practice in body wellness that provides virtual therapy to adolescents and adults in Michigan who are ready to heal from trauma, anxiety, depression, and OCD. I'm so excited to have Sarah with us. It was a really good conversation. So let's go ahead and dig in. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for being um, a guest here on the podcast and sharing a little bit about your journey in trauma treatment um, and just kind of all your knowledge and all the things. So I'm just happy to have you. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, So we're going to start with you just telling us a little bit about your journey in trauma treatment, specifically around uh, substance abuse and use disorders. Um, How did you get started and how how did you become passionate about that particular population? Yeah, so I will be honest, in graduate school, I didn't learn about substance use disorders at all. Um, I think I had one presentation in one of my classes about it. Um, and then my first job, I did MST, which is multi-systemic therapy. Um, so it was um, working with juveniles and families on probation to keep the adolescent out of jail. Um, and so a lot of the therapy was really focused um, on the family unit. But what I noticed was a lot of the adolescents struggled with substance use. Um, And I will be honest, I didn't love their approach to treatment, um, which was just getting rid of access, um, which, in my opinion, I think is way easier said than done, especially with adolescents um, in this day and age, um, because it's just rampant and it's everywhere. Um, So that was my first introduction to substance use, um, I would say, like in the field. Um, And then my second job, I moved to a more trauma-based um, focused job with adolescents, and they were in a residential home. And so we didn't really focus on substance use because they weren't actively using. Um, but then I found my way into working at the University of Michigan Addiction Treatment Services. Um, I will be honest, I it just kind of fell in my lap. I Fun story, I applied, you know, I think this is a common experience. We apply to a bunch of jobs and I didn't really realize what I was applying for because I was just kind of clicking. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) so it's kind of embarrassing now that, but I can say that now that I'm out of that job. So um, yeah, so that's kind of how I um, went into that job, but I ended up really loving it um, and working with 
mostly adolescents and adults with co-occurring disorders. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, mental health and substance use. Yeah. So, yeah, we a couple of things you said that kind of sparked my my ears there a little bit of like, yep, yep, yep. Uh, the whole idea of not having a lot of training in graduate school around substance abuse, um, that feels very familiar, um, I think, for myself and then probably for a lot of the community members that are listening of just if you are not like uh, certified in substance abuse, you know, treatment, uh, then you probably feel very kind of lost in the sauce about it. Um, and then the other thing you said was it's just, you know, jobs kind of finding you. Um, I think those are the best ones. Uh, I, I have a couple of those in my career path too that found me, but turned out to be really beautiful. So that's really cool. Now, when you the last job you had when you were working for the university, um, where you had the co-occurring disorders, I think that's the piece uh, that's always I'm curious about as a trauma professional because usually people are coming to me to work on trauma, um, but they have these other things that are in the background or maybe sometimes in the foreground. Um, and that is the piece when you think about substance abuse, like how does it show up with trauma? Like from your experience and working with the co-occurring disorders, like how does substance abuse and, and use disorders show up with uh, trauma? What's been your experience around that? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I will say one size never fits all. So um, it can show up in many ways, but the way I primarily see it as is any addiction is to fix feelings, um, is to cope with feelings or get away from feelings or shift feelings. And so I just see substance use as any other coping mechanism. And I know it can be really scary, um, especially because there's not a lot of training in in our education. Um, but I see it as just self-harm in, in another form or fashion. Um, just you know, as we learn about um, self-harming in other ways. Um, So the way I see it show up is usually um, people are just trying to not suffer. In our society, we want quick fixes. And we realize that, wow, I've tried this and this and this and this. And maybe that's therapy. Maybe that's coaching. Maybe that's meditation. Maybe that's yoga. I mean, the list goes on. And I think there's many factors, but when a lot of people say to me, once they found drugs or alcohol, it was like this shift and it was like the pain just went away. Mm-hmm. Um, now it went, it came back rampant. Um, but for that moment, it was like they weren't hurting so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we all want, right? Like we don't want to hurt so much. Yeah. So, what I hear you saying is, is clients um, finding ways to manage, finding, you know, as a management strategy, uh, finding ways to manage the pain, to manage the discomfort, to manage however their symptoms are showing up. And for some clients that can be through substances is that's the way they found to manage it. Um, I am always curious when I have clients who are struggling with substances or actually other things too, but from a nervous system perspective, I'm always curious about what they're using um, and what the effect of that particular drug or substance is going to have on their system. So, you know, are they using uppers? Are they using downers? Because that tells me a lot about what they're trying to regulate. Um, So that's also one thing that comes to mind with me from a nervous system perspective is 
I am always super curious, like what what's the drug of choice and, and what does that do for them? Because it tells me a lot of other things about them as well that they may be struggling with. Yeah. Uh, what would be some signs? So, I, you know, say I get a client who comes in my office and uh, we, they say, you know, I just want to work on my trauma history. You know, I want to process some of my trauma or my trauma seems to be getting in my way of my present day experience or whatever the case may be. Um, but what would be some signs that that client might benefit from some substance abuse or addiction support? Um, what, what, what might a, a professional see um, in a client that might be some cues that, to have some conversations or be curious about some things with a client? Yeah. So the first thing I do is exactly what you said is be curious, right? So I think there's sometimes this, the stigma is if you're using substances, it's problematic and it may or may not be. Um, and so we want to, we want to get curious um, and start by asking like, what does your substance use look like? Um, how often do you use? When do you use? Um, what is your journey with use? Because use looks different during different times. Um, so, you know, over just as with any other behavior, right, it can ebb and flow. Um, but the things that I look out for the most are um, tolerance. So needing to use the same amount of a substance in order to have the same desired effects. Um, another thing is sometimes what can actually happen, and this is more common than not, is that we think that the substance is making us feel better, but actually what it does is it perpetuates whatever mental health concerns we're already having. So basically, it's like we think like, oh my gosh, I need X to cope with my anxiety. But what we realize is that actually X is making the anxiety worse. And so that I need it because my anxiety is so bad because I'm using so much. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't have anxiety if we didn't use. Um, there's a lot of thought about like what came first, substance use or mental health and chicken or egg. And I really just try to get away from that conversation and focus on the here and now. Hmm. Yeah. I do like that idea of like how it, how it becomes this kind of reoccurring cycle of it's like, I'm, I'm using this to manage, but then I have to use more of it or I have to keep using it to manage. Um, and it actually probably is, you know, inching my anxiety up even more. Um, so I'm having to use more, you know, so it becomes this kind of snowball effect, I guess, is what comes to mind for me. Um, so, yeah, the idea of I love that also the piece that you talked about in the beginning about, you know, not coming in with the assumption that it's problematic, um, especially with the recreational use of marijuana and those kinds of things. Um, also, the psychedelic stuff that's coming in. Um, with trauma treatment. So, you know, just making sure that our biases um, are not kind of, you know, impeding upon the work that we're doing and really kind of coming in with an open mind and listening to the client's experience is kind of what I gathered from that, which was really helpful. Thank you for saying that. Of course. Yeah. Now, if a community member wanted to, so as we're having this conversation about substance 
use and abuse and treatment and trauma treatment. I think there's so much more we could say in so many more directions. So if there's something else you want to say that's really kind of burning, just let me know. Um, but if someone wanted to grow their skill set, like, how did you do that? Like, what was your journey when you were learning about this particular population? Um, were there specific trainings that you took that you found to be really helpful? Um, but what, what kind of direction would you give community members to go in if they are wanting to grow their, their skills? Yeah, so I will say um, a lot of my training, as I think a lot of social workers and um, mental health professionals know, is that a lot of my training was on the job um, and consulting with other people in the field and saying, okay, what what are you doing in these situations, consultations? Um, so I always recommend finding a supervisor or you know, someone that you can con consult with that knows about substance use um, or, you know, whatever you want to learn more about, um, because I think that can really help. Um, I know that the University of Michigan does have a certificate program um, that I heard is pretty good. So if you want more formalized training, um, that, that can be helpful. Um, another thing that also, for some people, they find helpful is to go to an open 12-step meeting, um, potentially like AA or NA, and also making sure that it's an open meeting because open meetings are people who don't identify um, as wanting to stop use. Um, so there's closed versus open meetings, and closed meetings are for individuals um, who identify as you know, wanting to stop use or look at, you know, look at their use um, as a problem. So um, it is okay to go to an open meeting and and see what it's like. And I think that is a great, good training opportunity. When I've had interns, I've really um, recommended that they do that. Yeah, okay. Those are good op options. So uh, certificate, I know there's tons of different certification programs, you know, that people can engage in. So, you know, looking at an actual full-blown program, um, if that's something that you want to kind of invest in. Um, but then also, you know, being in the community and being connected. So uh, I always like to have like someone that I'm consulting with, if it's a particular, you know, population or a subset of population that I don't, I don't feel comfortable with, then there's someone I can kind of bounce ideas off of in those kinds of things. So I like that idea too, of having a supervisor or, or doing some consults with someone who specializes in this population. That's good. Thank you. Well, anything else you want to say about substance use um, and abuse disorders as it relates to trauma treatment that I, we haven't covered that you think might be good for the community? If not, that's okay. Just want to give you an opportunity. Yeah, um, I think that substance use can feel scary to a lot of professionals. Um, and sometimes there's a point, and I think this is kind of with any concern that we experience, is that it can create a life of its own. So sometimes it's like, okay, you notice that someone's engaging in substance use, and now it's its own problem. Um, but sometimes it's not. And the thing about trauma is that in order to get to the trauma, we do have to make sure that if the substance use now has a life of its own, like it has its own snowball, 
um, that we do address that snowball first, because what can happen is that the substance use can get worse um, if we go to the trauma. So um, I had a colleague who used to use this analogy, and I really loved it. It was, so we have a house, and we have these inner wires that are on fire, right? Like, so the house is on fire, and then we have the inner wires. And so the house that's on fire is the substance use, right? And so before we go in to the wires, which is the trauma, like the internal, the nervous system, we have to put out the fire um, because we're going to get burned. We're going to get hurt. And we're already feeling hurt, right? Like we don't want to get more hurt. So Mm -hmm. we always have to make sure that we put out that fire first and, and then allow those wires to cool before we touch them. Mm. That's good. Makes me think of like, uh, you know, the phasic treatment of trauma, you know, like working in phases. And, and so the stabilization phase includes treating any you know, co-occurring things that clients may be using to uh, manage before we get into the processing phase. Um, so that stabilization phase expands a little bit when you're dealing with in my mind, this is what's happening as you're talking. It expands a little bit when you're dealing with co-occurring disorders because it's not just working on coping skills and managing, you know, activation and those kinds of things, but it's also working on those other things that they're using um, to manage them, their, their life. So, yeah, I love that analogy of, you know, making sure that we go in and, and, work on the outside before we get on, get too deep on the inside. Um, That's really nice. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. Um, We always like to talk about treatment of trauma, our clients, what our clients need, how to take good care of our clients. Like that's an important piece of our community. But we also think that we are an important piece as the helping professionals. Like, you know, we are the tool, if you will. Um, And so we like to talk a little bit about staying healthy and making sure that we're taking good care of ourselves. Uh, So I always love to ask our guests, uh, how do you stay healthy being a mental health professional? Um, Like what are things that you do? What are things that you've learned in your career journey that is important to your self-care? Yeah. And this has definitely ebbed and flowed over time. And it's something that I'm currently trying to re-navigate as um, my career's Uh, shifted recently. Um, So one of the things is my fur babies are um, really (laughs) regulating for me. So um, I have two fur babies and I do work from home. And so one of the benefits is I get to have them in my lap sometimes or take little breaks and and just regulate with them, Um, which if I ever go back to the office, I will find a way to I have cats, but I will find a way to get a dog and have a therapy dog. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I think one of the biggest things is having community. Um, not so recently, um, I've moved into like full time, um, business owner of a, of my group practice. Um, and so I think having not only community members who I feel like I can, um, you know, do consultation 
around being a therapist, but also my role as a business owner. I think that's really helped with my self-care. Nice. Nice. Community is huge. Uh, Fur babies are huge. Um, So those are definitely good tips. Um, You could always have a uh, a therapy cat, Um, you know, not just a therapy dog, but uh, you can have a therapy cat, you can have a therapy (laughs) ferret therapy anything you know <laughs> <laughs> that's true Fair, therapy fish I'm just kidding <laughs> yep, yep, yep. watch them swim just just notice how they glide <laughs> through the water <laughs> yeah so you know just uh, just want to say just want to say um so uh what's one thing you wish you would have known uh before starting your career journey I knew this but I didn't embody it so I knew and everybody told me, oh, you know, you'll move and shift jobs. But I didn't embody that. I I saw that as a shame factor. Mm. Um, like, oh, my gosh, like I my first job, I was only there for a year. My second job, I was only there for a year. And I, I saw that as shame um, versus like that I was able to grow so much in those positions and actually by saying no to those positions that were really, um, in some ways, like I said, I grew a lot and there so much good came from them, but they weren't right for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately there's a lot of toxicity, um, in the mental health field in terms of how many clients you're supposed to see and, um, the expectations of a social worker. And so I don't think, I think I knew cognitively, but I wish I would have embodied that more. Yeah, that's good. I was just thinking about how I struggled with that, too. Of Like, why am I moving jobs so much? Like, my dad stayed in the same job from the time he got out of high school until now. You know, like, just mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, like, our, what I saw in, you know, generations before me and in my family, that's what I was supposed to do. And so... That's what came up for me as you were saying that. So, yeah, embodying that it's okay to move around and to grow and to find your to find your niche. The other thing that comes up for me, and I don't know if you would agree with this, is it's forever changing. And I, I really do try to, you know, remind myself of that, of like when I feel like, oh, this is not fitting for me anymore. Like I just changed. I'm about to change again. Like I'm just kind of saying, you know, I'm forever changing. Life is forever changing and what I do will change and it's okay that it's changing. It doesn't mean that I'm unstable or I, I can't make up my mind or some, you know, something like whatever I say to myself that's negative. Um, but just allowing myself to continue to to unfold. I don't know if that resonates with you any when you say that. Oh, completely. Because I, I know for me is I want, I want stability. I want certainty. And when it feels scary and it feels rocky, you know, that's when I start to, you know, question myself. But in reality, um, there's beauty in in being able to gather new information, take in, like, uh, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know about SE or somatic experiencing five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So like, to say, oh, well, I just found out about this new amazing modality, or and now I can't do anything about it because I can't change. Like how limiting is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I don't know about you, but I, I, I drink the Kool-Aid. So um, my whole life changed after I did somatic experiencing. And people don't talk about that because we don't want to sound like a cult. But um, it did shift a lot of things for me. And so it would have been very hard to not change with all of this new information I had about myself. Um, to, to not be able to to have space to change and shift and, and you know, live in a more embodied life. So, yeah, that's been my experience with that. So that's really good. Um, anything that you want to share with the community as far as ways that they can connect with you? Um, I know you spoke of your practice, and then we talked about um, you being a um, personal session provider for students in somatic experiencing. So can you talk a little bit about those things so that people know how to connect with you if they want to? to learn more and want to be in community with you in some way? Of course. Yeah. So I own um, Embodied Wellness, which is a group practice in Michigan. So we service all of Michigan, um, adolescents and adults. We utilize different trauma therapies, somatic therapy, EMDR, um, et cetera. And so you can contact me through the website, embodiedwellnesstherapy.com. I'm also on social media, right? Instagram, all the things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm also um, an assistant through SEI. So um, I'm a personal session provider for the beginning level. Um, So if if you're in the somatic experiencing training and need um, credit towards becoming an SEP, I can provide... um, I can provide those sessions. You know, I can also provide consultation for people who aren't in the training and just want consultation re- reg- um, around somatic experiencing, somatic therapy, trauma treatment in itself, substance use, all those things. Um, but for people in the training in their beginning year, I can, um, I'm certified to sign off on that paperwork. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Um, my last question that I have is, is what's one thing about you that you don't mind sharing with our community? Just like a fun fact, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I would say I've been to six continents and Antarctica is the last on the list, but we'll see if I make it there. Nice. Um, but my, yeah, but my, um, my bucket list is to go on safari. So yeah. I'm hoping I can make it. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that for you too. I am hoping that for you too. I've heard really great things. I have not been able to do that, but um, interesting enough, someone was just talking about that recently and, and how cool it was to be able to kind of be face-to-face with a with an elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, that is it. Thank you so much for being a part of this experience. It's been lovely to kind of walk through um trauma treatment and substance abuse and use disorders and just things to think about. So I appreciate you. Um, And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our episode for today. Just a quick reminder before you head out, just make sure you head over to the traumatreatmentcollective.com to learn more about our monthly group consults. We would love to have you join us.